Well, uh, tomorrow begins uh, one of the most exciting weeks in the life of the church. I think for every, all of us involved in it, uh, especially for me, I love it. There's always exciting around, a lot of people around. It's Vacation Bible School Week. And um, there are a group of people working on planning our 35th anniversary celebration in November. And some of them are going through uh, our history as recorded in church minutes and newsletters and other kind of documents. And Brenda Brown's one of them. And she called me this week. She said, I think I've got an interesting tidbit to share with you. And so we've decided uh, week by week we're going to put some um, highlights of our church history in the uh, bulletin on Sunday morning so you can uh, read those. But this one she said um, that she discovered that the first vacation Bible school at Spring Valley Baptist Church was not held here but was held at Roy Jan. How many of you have been to Roy Jan? You know what we're talking about? Not very many people probably this idea, but some of you. Uh, Mr. Breezy Brasington was one member at North Trenton who had a vision for a church out here when there was basically nothing but sand hills and scrub oak out in northeast Columbia. And uh, he had a cabin on a lake across the road over there, uh, back over there, and, and um, there was a lake and a um, uh, shed and his cabin. It was named for his two children. That's where the Roy Jan comes from. Well, that's where the first vacation Bible school for Spring Valley Baptist was held in the summer of 1981. Shirley Sanders was the director. And um, got any wild idea about how much money they spent on Bible school that summer? What would you guess? How about $317.35? Isn't that something? Now, what we thought was so neat about it was that our vacation Bible school this year is June 15th through June 19th. Our vacation Bible school in 1981... June 15th through June 19th. Isn't that providential as we celebrate our 35th anniversary? Now, in the first worship hour, we had some people there who are adults now of various ages who were involved in that Bible school. Any of y'all here in this worship hour who are part of that first Bible school, either as a teacher or as a child? None? That's interesting. We had some in the first service. I thought, thought that was interesting. Anybody? One? Oh, okay, Yeah. The Mylanders were here early on, so that's right. Great. So, at Bible school week again. I, I've thought back about the years I've, I've almost all my life in Bible school. I remember the themes. You know, if you remember those old ones, we'd come in where there was that little note come in, you know, and then there was that little note, listen, sit down, listen, stand up, and all that. Boy, how things have changed now. I am just amazed at the creativity uh, that the writers have for Bible school material for the theme. Uh, for the music, for the Bible study, for all the things that go around it. And this year our theme is Journey Off the Map. And the scripture verse that is the theme verse is Isaiah 30 verse 21 that says, Whenever you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear this command behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. And our children will be challenged this week by this verse. The number one, know your guide, that is to know Jesus and he's God's son. To follow your God, that is to obey Jesus. To trust your God, that is uh, to trust him for salvation. And then to stay on track, and that means to trust Jesus daily. And then to keep watching, that is to be alert for the return of Jesus. So today, on the eve before Bible school, I want to express my gratitude to all of you who are going to be teachers and assistant teachers, who are going to be our student workers, who are going to be working with photography and uh, and uh, recreation and music and crafts and snacks, especially snacks and decorations. 
and registration and everything that's going to be done to make Vacation Bible School a success. In fact, if you're going to be a part of Vacation Bible School and leadership in any way, I want to ask you to stand for just a moment. Would you do that? All right. I want you to stand and just stay stood for a few minutes, will you? Okay. Uh, I thank you again uh, for being a part of Bible school, giving of your time. And I especially want you to notice the number of men. I am so pleased with the number of men that we have who are going to be working in Bible school. And I want us to have, uh, I want us to have a prayer over our workers and for the week of Bible school at this time. Will you join me? Father, we thank you for this week of Bible school that uh, gives us an opportunity to have an intense time for this entire week with our children through our middle schoolers, VBXers, in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, uh, to be able to impart into them spiritual truths and teach them about Jesus. And I thank you for all the workers and teachers and everybody who's been a part of it, uh, that you will bless them this week. We pray for good health. We pray for strength. We pray for uh, your presence just to be uh, made manifest around this church campus as, as we celebrate Jesus this week of Bible school. And we pray, Father, that we will see decisions made to your glory through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And we appreciate your willingness to work and everything that you're going to do. We look forward to a great week. I, I love this week around children because it never ceases to amaze me, the insight that children have on different things. Um, one night... Uh, there was a debate around the table, and I think it must maybe one of this past Monday night when we were having, uh, celebrating about four uh, June birthdays in our family, as to who was going to have the blessing. And sometimes it's the children, our grandchildren, who you know, fight over who's going to do it first, and they literally fight, and sometimes they just say it real quick and get it out of the way. But uh, nobody wanted to do it, so I was elected. And after I said the prayer and said, Amen, Wyatt, my five-year-old grandson, looked at me with a big thumbs up, and he said, Great job, Papa. And I thought... Uh, that was encouraging, you know, because we, we, we seek to encourage them. I love their insight. Here's a quick video about insights that children have about God. God is very powerful and he is very big. He's bigger than us, he's smarter than us, and he's stronger than us. Amen. God takes care of us. Up there. Up there. Um, in uh, heaven. Up there. Up there. Up in the sky. Yes, you can actually. On Sundays at church. And when you pray. Yeah. Um, um, I always pictured him as like a face inside a cloud. I always pictured him as maybe a mustache and a beard and a robe. And, yeah. And he wears sandals. I think he has long hair and he wears like uh, robes and sandals. Great insight, I think. Well, today we're going to look at, uh, I hope, what is a very familiar passage of Scripture about Jesus and the little children with the thought of uh, let the children come. And uh, we look at this in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 15, 16, and 17. And uh, I want you to think about how important children are in this scene to Jesus. People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. 
Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Uh, beautiful, beautiful, um, beautiful scene uh, that we can imagine uh, taking place with Jesus blessing the children. I always have claimed out of here three spiritual truths I think that are so important as we think about our children and this week of Bible school and the opportunities we have at home and at church to introduce them to Jesus and to lead them to Jesus. And the first thing I would say is this, that children should be introduced to Jesus. And I would say as early as possible. You look at this setting and you see parents in this setting were trying to get their children to Jesus. And let that be an example for you. Parents, grandparents, whoever is in charge of some of children. Introduce your child to Jesus and make it early in life. Make sure they know him. You see, the disciples knew where Jesus was going. Uh, he was going to Jerusalem, and they thought that it was far more important for him to talk to adults than to children. But Jesus knew how important the children were. He made it clear that they were important to him, and he said, let the little children come. In um, the, early, the late 1800s, a pastor in Chicago by the name of Herbert Wollston uh, wrote a hymn. And I'm sure all of you maybe not familiar with him, but you are with the with the. Uh, with the song because it's been sung for years and by millions and millions of people, especially children. We probably know the chorus. We'll look at that in a moment. But the first verse of that hymn goes this way. Jesus calls the children clear, come to me and never fear, for I love the little children of the world. I will take you by the hand, lead you to a better land, for I love the little children of the world. You know that song, don't you? It goes on to say, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. You want to sing it? All right, let's sing it. Give us an introduction. Got words on the screen for you. Did you know that there's another variation of that course? I think it's the politically correct one. The interesting thing is it's in the 91 hymnal, not our current hymnal. We found that out this week when we're looking this up. And that has the words, every color, every race, they are covered by God's grace. So we've got those words. Let's sing that, let's sing that version. Whichever version you prefer, just still remember that song, that Jesus loves the little children of the world. He created them all, uh, and he wants them all to come to him. And this is, a, this is something, parents, sometimes it's grandparents in charge of children. Uh, you have the role and the responsibility that is most important in the world to bring your children up in a way that you introduce them to Jesus very early in their life. I am so thankful that I was brought up in the church from the time that I was born. In fact, I was there nine months before I was born. And all the time. And I grew up in the life of the church. And I've had the privilege of seeing my children, my four children, grow up in the life of the church. Most of that was done here uh, at Spring Valley in those formative years when they were, they were shaped. And I thank you for having a part in that. 
Uh, we're down to now th- uh, three uh, extended family members living with us, and that's uh, Sarah Lynn, our youngest daughter, her husband, Doc, and, and Landry Nell, our youngest granddaughter, our youngest grandchild. She's six months old, being dedicated today at Riverland Hills where Doc's on staff. But I find it interesting that uh, every night when they take Landry Nell upstairs, they give her a bath and her last feeding, and they put her to bed, the last thing they do is they read her a Bible story, and then they sing to her a Christian song. And I just love that my children are doing that. And I think, you know, it's never too early to introduce Jesus to your children. Never. Never too early. Now, this scene that we look at in, in Luke is also recorded in Matthew 19 and Mark 10. Now, here's how, here's how Mark records that scene. And we've got a picture of that. I think, you remember that? That was one of the earliest pictures I remember seeing Jesus in, in church. And he writes, and Mark writes and says, And Jesus took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and bless them. I remember where Jesus is going. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to die. And those rough callous hands of a carpenter are laid on these children to give them a blessing. It wouldn't be too long before those same hands would be stretched out on a cross and nails would be driven through them and he would hang on that cross and die for their sins and for the sins of every one of us. And when you think about those hands of Jesus that blessed his children, uh, I'm reminded of what Chip Ingram teaches us in parenting. A little bit late for maybe for some of us, but your hands should never be used for discipline or punishment. Your hands should always be used only for blessing and affirming your children. Great challenge to us to think about, isn't it? Parents and Spring Valley Baptists, we must introduce our children to Jesus and give them every opportunity to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. I know some families who've given a testimony of the fact that they did a lot what Doc and Sarah Lynn were doing with Landry Nell, and the first word that their child spoke was Jesus. Now, wouldn't that be something? Absolutely phenomenal. Introduce your children to Jesus. Second thing, you look at this story, and, and there's a warning here, and the warning is this. Do not hinder children from knowing Jesus. We go back and look at Mark's account. The scripture says that when Jesus learned that the disciples were keeping the children away from him, it said that he became indignant. Uh, That's a nice way of saying that he got good and mad. He was downright angry. He was mad as fire. In fact, it's the same wording that's used when Jesus took the cord and went into the temple and drove out the corrupt money changers. Some people talk about that was the righteous indignation of Jesus. There's no righteous indignation. He was mad as fire, and he drove them out. And Jesus got hot in a hurry when people were trying to keep the children away from him. And so he said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. You might think, well, you know, I never do anything in this world that would hinder children from coming to know Jesus. Well, sadly, in over 39, about a half years of pastoral ministry, I've seen families that hindered their children. Number one, there are those families that never come to church. They never put their children in a Sunday school class. They never bring them to Bible school. Never let them be a part of the life of the church. They give their children absolutely no spiritual foundation whatsoever. Then there are those who will let their children be taken by others. But when that child comes exposed to the gospel and comes to know Christ and wants to make a decision to be baptized, those parents won't let them do that. And one of the reasons they say is, I, I just don't think that they know enough. I just don't think that they know enough about Jesus. And then we always have to watch out because there are sick people out there mentally 
who, who, who want to be around children solely for the purpose so that they can abuse them and get their jollies out of abusing children. That's why we do background checks on anybody that works with our children, preschoolers, and youth. You know, we got to make sure that we're going to keep them as safe as we can. Uh, that's why we have the, uh, uh, an armed officer on, on duty. No, we've never had any problem, but we don't want one, okay? We want to keep them as safe as possible, especially that preschool hall is wide open. Most of you walk all the way through it and back and forth, and that's where our preschoolers are. One of the saddest things to learn in our nation today is that every day three children in America die because of injuries sustained by abusive parents. And the Department of Health and Human Services estimates that 2.8 million children are abused every year in the United States. And you say, well, I'd never do that. Okay, good. I hope you would. But you know, there's another way in which you hinder children, and that is that oftentimes children look to teachers and deacons and choir people and staff members on church and other people around them as role models in the life of the church. I had to do that. I grew up without my father. I looked at men in the church to have a role model. And oftentimes when those role models will say something or do something that is not pure in the sight of God, you hinder that child. You hinder them by doing that. You need to look at that if you're in a position of leadership or just anybody who's got an influence. You need to make sure your life is pure before God and the world because there are people who are watching you. I want you to hear what Jesus said in Matthew 18. He said, whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now listen to the two extremes he talks about. Jesus said, if you welcome me, you welcome who? Children. Now you don't want to welcome Jesus. He showed up today. I mean, I hope he's here in spirit already. But if Jesus literally showed up, you would want to welcome him into your worship hour, your Sunday school class, or your home if he showed up there. And Jesus says the same thing. You welcome children. You love children. You take care of them. You welcome them in me. But look at the other extreme. He said, if you reject the children or you hinder the children, he said, it'd be better for you to have a two-ton millstone around your neck and that thrown into the depth of the sea, and you follow after it. And there's no coming back from that. We must be careful that we never do anything intentionally to hinder children. We have a great opportunity, and the world is ready and ripe for a sense of revival and renewal. And if we don't pass that faith on to our children, there will be a generation. All it has to be is one generation without the message of Christ, and it dies. We've also been told that by every child expert that all children have what's known as a window of learning. That is, they have a unique opportunity to learn. If they don't learn some of those cognitive skills during that time then they're going to be slow to develop in that area. Well, the same thing is true spiritually. There is that teachable moment that we have for children to be introduced to Jesus, to be taught more about Jesus' love and God's sacrifice for them. In fact, studies have shown that of everyone who is a Christian as an adult, 85% of them trusted Jesus as Savior before they were 18 years of age. Now listen to these numbers. If they accepted Christ at age 25... Uh, they, it, the chances of doing so was only 1 in 10,000. And of those who reached the age of 35 before they came to know Christ, only 1 in 50 were saved. Now you think about that. If they come to Christ before age 18, 
85% of people do that. But if it's 25 years of age and they haven't accepted Christ, basically one out of 10,000 will be saved. 35 years and beyond, one out of 50,000. Let's do a little informal survey. How many of you were saved? You came to know Christ, whether at Bible school or Sunday morning, revival or whenever, before you were 18. How many of you knew Christ before you were 18, made that decision? That's great, okay? How about anybody waiting until after from 25 to 35 that you made that decision? Okay, there's some others who, who, who saw that and made that decision. How many of you were 35 and older before you made that decision? There we go. There's some of them right there who, who have done that. that. That's great. Okay. Now, some of you didn't raise your hand. Maybe you didn't want to participate. Or maybe you don't yet know Christ. I don't care what age you are. If you don't know Christ, then you need to come to him and allow him to be your Savior and Lord of your life. You see how it played out even in the life of our church? Most all of us in here, vast majority anyway, before we were 18, you know, that's why senior adults, we're living longer these days. And one of the largest fields ripe for evangelism are senior adults because so many of them have gone to that point in their life and they've not come to know Christ. It's very seldom you see somebody 70, 75, 80 and beyond be baptized and give their life to Christ in it. But there are thousands and thousands of them out there who need to be reached with the message. Now, Jesus said that we should come like children. He says, uh, anyone who will not come and receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And that's the third observation I think we need to say, and that is that the faith of a child is required for salvation. You look at verse 17 of our scripture, and Jesus says, I tell you the truth. King James Version always translates that phrase this way, verily, verily, I say unto you. Anytime you hear those words or read those words, put up your spiritual antenna because Jesus is going to lay something on you. Okay? And this is what he said. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You want to be a part of the kingdom of God? Then you got to become like a child. You got to become like a child. Now we know there's a difference between childish and childlike. And we know that the Bible warns us about being spiritually immature, but praises us uh, for spiritual maturity. And also Jesus praises the wonderful qualities of children that are necessary to have that salvation faith that brings them into the kingdom of God. In fact, listen to what he says in Matthew 18. At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I think the disciples were still dealing with this thing about who was who was going to have a higher place? You know, they still were bickering about that, even as Jesus was on the way to give his life on the cross. And Jesus, it says, called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now I've thought about it oftentimes, especially whenever I read that passage and I look at my own children and then my grandchildren. And what is it that allows children to come to know Christ in just such an honest way? They just hear a simple plan of salvation and they're ready to believe it and accept it. Now what is it about this Christ-like uh, attitude, about childlike attitude gets us into the kingdom of God. Those are what Jesus said. Those, that was his words. 
They said, we got to become like a child. So what does it mean? This is what I came up with this week, really putting some thought and, and words on paper about it. I, I think it's because of children have that wide-eyed wonder of God's creation. You know, every day is a new day and a new opportunity, and they experience something new and different basically every day. Most of us as adults, we get in a routine, and it's just boring and drab and nothing new about it. They, they just have a wide-eyed wonder at God's creation. Then I think they have a, a sense of awe at the thought of God's majesty. Oh, I loved it, the little boy on the video that said he's bigger than we are, stronger than we are, he mo knows more than we are. And that. You know, that is something that should awe us about God. And then I think with the children, uh, and, and why Jesus used them as an example is simply because they possess a simple spirit of faith and trust. You know, I've had so many people say to me, parents, well, you know, my child made this decision in Bible school, and um, I, I'm just not sure they know enough. And I say, okay, well, let's sit down and talk to them and see what they do know. And I think one of the problems that we make sometimes as children, we want to make sure that they know what they're doing. I'm not, I'm not going to baptize four- and five-year-olds. Somewhere, depending upon maturity, from six to seven to up into that category. Some guys won't do it until a child's at least nine. Some say 12 or 13. In some churches, children aren't in worship until they begin to be in student ministry. But what do you think children really need to know before they accept Jesus? All they need to know is that God loves them, sent Jesus to die for them. He died on the cross to take away their sins. Isn't that the basic story? Why do you want to make it any more difficult than that? See, I think the problem oftentimes with adults is, is that we expect children to understand Jesus and have a knowledge of him like adults do, or, or hopefully spiritually mature adults do. And that's not what Jesus said, is it? We're not supposed to look at the salvation event through the eyes of an adult, but through the eyes of a child. That we just see the, the awe of God's love, the majesty of God in Jesus Christ. And they've got a simple attitude of trust and belief. And when you allow them to make that decision, you feel comfortable with where they are in that process... Then you start them on that journey. And then guess what? It's your responsibility as parents or grandparents, whoever has those children, to partner with the church to teach those children everything that they need to know. Everything that you know you need to teach them. And that will take you the rest of your life because it's a lifelong process of learning. But it's got to start with a simple childlike faith of trust. And that says to us then that our decision, our faith as, as parents and grandparents and role models has to be genuine and it has to be passionate. So here we are. Let the little children come. We start Bible school tomorrow. A lot of work and preparation have already gone into it. Number one, I want to ask you, will you pray again this week for Bible school? Will you pray and ask God's blessings? Uh, on this week and what we'll be doing. And then I want you to remember what Jesus teaches us in this story. That children are loved by Jesus and he says let the children come to him and we must let our children come to him and never hinder them. And then we must teach them at home and partnered with the church everything we know about the love of God.
That's a great challenge to us. I think we have a fantastic children's ministry. And we're going to see some of the fruits of that work this week through Bible school. And I want you to be in prayer with us about that as we share God's love with these children. Pray for them to have open hearts and minds and that simple trusting faith to believe in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this week of Bible school that you give to us as a wonderful opportunity in an intense setting, but in a fun setting and a spirit-filled way to teach them Jesus. And so they would come to be introduced to Jesus during this week. And so we pray your blessings on everyone working with Bible school, that you would bless them in every way. We pray for good health. We pray for a great week. We pray for spiritual insight. We pray for your spirit just to permeate this campus. And we pray, Father, that we'll see seeds of faith planted. We'll see those who know Christ grow more in their faith, and we'll see others come to know Jesus as Savior. Then, Father, we pray for our children in the life of this church, that they will be protected while they're here, that they'll be protected at home. They will be carefully nurtured the way God intends for children to be nurtured so they can grow to know him as Savior and continue to grow in the maturity of their faith. And I pray for the homes in which these children come, that they will be blessed and the parents who give that leadership. Father, we, we want to be faithful to what you teach us to do, and we want to teach children about the love you have for them through Jesus Christ. And so we pray to be committed to that. In the name of Christ, our Savior, our Lord. Amen.